going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Happy Thursday on a week in which everybody's still trying to get their bearings about them. It's amazing the number of people that I've talked to heading into not only today's show, but yesterday's show, even Tuesday's show for that matter. The number of people who have said, good morning when it's the middle of the afternoon or good evening in the middle of the morning. And and then even beyond that is, oh, it's been a great Tuesday. Uh, It's Thursday. So if you're in that boat, no You're not alone. We'll get through it together. And we'll also get through uh, the rest of this afternoon's drive together as well. A whole lot to get to after 4 o'clock. Our uh, year in review, year-end interview with Fire Chief Steve Dongworth. He'll join us in the program and talk for essentially that half hour to talk uh, some of the issues that they saw, whether it be the the opioid crisis that uh, they've been on the front lines for, also budget deliberations, but clearly the biggest issue they face is fires. And in the first six months, they faced a lot of big scale, two alarm blazes in this city. And I want to talk to him about whether there's some anecdotal things we can take away from the last year as we look ahead to 2019 as well. So we'll be joined by Fire Chief Steve Dongworth after four o'clock. Big news for the YMCA here in Calgary. Also, just big news for anybody in southeast Calgary as well as the new uh, Brookfield property. I believe it's Brookfield YMCA Rec Center has opened up or will open up on Monday, but they held their grand opening uh, bonanza today and we'll be joined by Ken Lima Coelho uh, from the YMCA after 4.30 to walk us through what he has seen so far uh, during today's festivities. The mayor was on hand, of course, all the different partners were on hand. The province, one of the MLAs was there as well, so it was uh, a big to-do and it's the world's largest YMCA, which I was a little surprised by, to be honest. But it's, uh, again, great to see big thinking happening in our city. And speaking of big thinking, one of the stories we've been trying to follow up on is the city's planning commission talking about the 50-year plan for Victoria Park. And we'll be joined by Warren Connell from the Stampede after 5 o'clock to discuss that particular venture. And the Stampede clearly going to be one of the centerpieces of Victoria Park for years ahead, whether it's the BMO Center expansion, whether it is just the overall area, uh, the transit changes that are going to be happening in that area. And, oh, yeah, there's that whole arena, I mean, event center proposal that may be a centerpiece for that area as well. So we'll talk to Warren about that and what, the Stampede sees is maybe their legacy looking ahead to uh, as this is a 50 year plan, but he, I think he's, as we were talking before to kind of set up the interview, he was talking hundred years, clearly the hundred year anniversary of the Stampede uh, still fresh in his mind, but we're going to start things off yesterday. I kind of ranted and raved a little, I, I won't deny it. I got a little fired up. And a couple of people texted in and said, you got to lighten things up a little. you got to talk about some of the positive things that are happening in this province. And I can't disagree with that. There are some good things happening in this province. And one of the things uh, that I've noticed, given where, where I'm from uh, originally, the, the outskirts of Nowheresville, Carmen K. Alberta, 
there is a massive wind farm in that neck of the woods, but there are wind farms popping up all across the southern, uh, southern half of this province. And wind energy has been a big focal point for this government, but it's also been a big uh, deal when it comes to just being greener with our energy. And Evan Wilson from the Canadian Wind Energy Association will join us in just a minute here to give us a bit of a state of the industry and what's next for wind energy in this province and across this country as we try to wrap our heads around how we're going to power our homes in the years, decades, and centuries ahead. So we'll get to Evan next. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. I have to admit that going home nowadays is a little different than it used to be. When I'd go home, you were just sort of on the east side of Carmen Gay. And it's there's a bit of a ridge in the distance about three miles down the road. And you it's it's one of those your standard prairie sunrises and sunsets off that ridge. And over the last few years, it's been different. And the reason being is along that ridge is the Black Spring Ridge Wind Project. And it is a massive, massive project. The only wind turbines I had ever seen in this province prior to that would have been the ones at Cayley, um, and or Cowley, Cowley, sorry, not Cayley, Cowley, and down by Pincher Creek. And it's been fascinating to watch over the last few years as different little projects have been springing up all across the province here. And the province over the last couple of weeks here also made an announcement where they're going to be fun, uh, providing funding for even more wind farms. So this isn't something that's going away anytime soon. And clearly, if you judge just by the wind that we saw here in, in Alberta and, and in the Calgary region over the last few a couple of weeks here, might as well capitalize off of it somehow at least in my books. Joining us now from the Canadian Wind Energy Association as Regional Director for the Prairies, Evan Wilson. Evan, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Hello, thanks for having me. Let's give us a, give us a little bit of a, a state of the industry address here. Wind Farms, Alberta, how is the industry doing? Yeah, you know what? The industry is doing great here in Alberta and actually has been doing great for, for a long time. I know you're trying to you know, look forward to, to good things that are, that are happening here in Alberta. But I think that the story of wind, um, is something that looks good if you look in the past and even, even if you look forward into the future. Um, Alberta really is, uh, you know, a, a pioneering province for the development and operation of, of wind farms. Cowley Ridge, which you just mentioned, opened back in the 90s, uh, one of the first commercial, one of the first grid-connected wind farms uh, in the whole country. Um, and then, you know, so we can look back 20 years, and then we can look forward into the future here based on, um, you know, based on not only on announcements that you were talking about for the Renewable Electricity Program rounds one and two, but also just in general, um, Alberta has the wind resource that makes wind make sense as an electricity generation option. We've got, as anyone who's been in southern Alberta knows, <laughs> there's a lot of wind. It's consistent. It's strong. Um, it's what we need to generate electricity. And then not only that, um, you know, just, uh, you know, just at the end of last year, uh, the, the, with the announcement of reps round two and three, um, we had, uh, you know, we had uh, about eight 
new contracts or eight projects that were getting contracts awarded by the Alberta Electric System Operator uh, to be in operation in 2021 and then operate for another at least 20 years after that. So we're really in the middle of a lot of good times of, for, for wind here in Alberta. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the actual production of power from wind, how much are we able to produce in, in a given day or a given year? I mean that's really going to that's really going to vary, um, you know, depending on the location of the wind farm, depending on you know the the technology that's being used, depending on how the wind farm is, uh, depending on how the wind farm is designed and and what products they're what product they're using um, as their wind turbine. But if if we want to look at the projects that just got the contracts here in Alberta, um, that's a total of about uh, 760 megawatts is is uh, the, the number of, of, of megawatts that we've got from these projects. And that's going to power about 300,000 homes per year um, just based on, on these contracts. If you want to scale up, right now we have about 1,500 megawatts of, electri- of, of wind capacity in the province already. So, I mean, we'd be looking at about 600,000 homes currently are being powered uh, annually by by wind electricity. I was going to ask, when it comes to the current situation, how many wind farms do we have here in this province now? Oh, how many? So, so we do uh, the the number of wind farms. We're in the neighborhood of about thirty-seven wind projects wow. that are operating right now um, across the province. You know, ranging from the size of you know several megawatts up to Black Spring Ridge, which you had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, which is about three hundred megawatts um, uh, in size. There, so so we'd be looking at the three hundred megawatts. You know, about one hundred and fifty thousand homes are just short of that. So, um, you know, we we do have quite a footprint because we've had wind electricity here for for a really long time in in Alberta. What are some of the challenges that we're facing when it comes to bringing wind more as a a mainstay, I guess, and a bigger footprint on the power generating system here in our province? You know, I I think right now, um, given given a number of of factors that are going on, I think that we are in a better time for the um, the construction uh, and operation of wind farms in in Alberta, um, you know we have a long history here, which which means we have a very experienced development force. We have a very experienced workforce on this. Um, we have the strong wind resource that has made um, the 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 introduction of things like the renewable electricity program, um, you know, a pretty a pretty obvious way to move forward with with the development of wind. It's going to deliver uh, low. Uh, cost of electricity to to people across the province if there's uh as well we see things like carbon pricing and the ability for companies to generate carbon credits that they can then sell to uh to other companies that will reduce the the compliance obligation for folks that are companies or industries that have to pay the carbon credits i i think really um the 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 number one challenge uh in in getting a wind farm built in alberta right now is actually winning the competition to, uh, to, to get your project built because it's so, so, so competitive uh, here in the province. There's a lot of investment coming from all over the world um, to make these investments. So I, I think that the real, the real challenge that people are seeing right now um, is the challenge of, of winning the competitions to, to, to get your project built. Well, and one of the, th- the things that makes wind stand out over sun or solar is the fact that you don't have to depend on the time of day because here in Alberta, we know the wind can blow at all hours of the day and night. 
Yep. And, and one thing, too, I think we're really lucky here in Alberta, um, you know, that we have a really diverse mix of electricity sources here. Um, the, the electric system operator that makes sure that the wind is, sorry, that the electricity, I'm a little bit biased, I guess, to say wind, but to make <laughs> sure that the electricity is delivered from the generator to our homes and to our industries, they are, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. There's lots of smart people that are working there that are able to, um, you know, that are able to forecast when and how the wind's going to blow. They're able to forecast when certain wind farms are going to come online, when they're not going to be online, so that they can make sure that given all of the other resources that we have, different kinds of generation, whether that's gas uh, and different other, you know, different, different types of gas generation, other types of renewables, um, as well as, as other facilities that, including coal, that generate electricity. We have the Alberta Electric System Operator that is, that, that really has developed, uh, you know, an important skill in doing forecasting of wind, doing forecasting of solar, and learning when, um, you know, when, uh, when to bring on all of the different types of electricity in the mix to make sure that we're always able to turn our, uh, turn our lights on and, and, and uh, make sure our garage doors open at home. Is there anything to be learned out of, I know a couple of years ago, there was a story about the, the Cowley wind farm in particular and the maintenance issues that were coming up. Was there something learned from that in terms of making sure that we're staying on top of it and, and replacing pieces when needed and, and making sure that we're, we're not uh, allowing things to disintegrate? Yeah, I mean, maintenance is a real, um, you know, that that is a top priority issue for a lot of our members, or I would say all of our members in the in the wind energy industry. Um, the more time that you have when your wind farm is operating, the more uptime you have, the more often you're able to to actually be operating and, and producing electricity to sell uh, in the Alberta electrical uh, system market. So, so the more that you are, the, the you know, the better maintained you are, and and the more that you're operating, uh, the better the return on the company's investment is going to be. Um, one thing that I will say as well about Cali, Cali Ridge is actually really interesting, um, uh, really interesting example that we have here in Alberta. It, at Cali Ridge, um, two summers ago was was decommissioned. We call it, and, right. and basically what decommissioning means is um, they pull the towers down, they pull the turbines down, they pull the blades down. Um, and then companies typically face a decision whether they're going to reclaim the land or whether or not they're going to repower uh, the, the facility itself. And repowering basically means putting up new towers, putting up new turbines, and generating electricity again from the same position, just with, with newer technology. So, you know, even though those, uh, those turbines came down uh, at Cowley, they were, you know, they were, they were 24, 25 years old. But basically what they're doing is just like when your car is kind of at the end of life and, and maintenance costs are getting high and it's it's time to replace your car. It's not mm-hmm. time to quit driving. Um, right. So that's what we, we see happening uh, at Cowley. I, 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 at least that's what, uh, that's what um, you know, that, that is an opportunity that is in front of them. But the thing to remember is, you know, that as, uh, as any technology, um, you know, comes to the end of, of, of life, it doesn't mean that the wind resource has disappeared. It just means um, that it may be time to, to retire or what you currently have in place. Understood. And I get the feeling that wind's not going away anytime soon either based off of what we just saw in last week or so <laughs> around Calgary. Evan Wilson is the regional director for the Prairies here at the Canadian Wind Energy Association. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. <laughs> 
you heard it in the news with Haley just a couple of minutes ago. Fire Chief Steve Dongworth doing the rounds for year in review interviews. And he joins us now on the program. Chief Dongworth, thanks so much for the time today. You're welcome. When you look back on 2018, what will it be remembered for in your eyes? I think uh, probably three things uh, from, from my perspective. First of all was we had that... Um, you know, a, a high, very high number of uh, serious fires in 2018, which I think we communicated pretty widely uh, mid-year. Um, and those were the, you know, the second alarm or greater fires. So we we had to call lots of resources to deal with these. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a higher number than I can remember for... Um, for my time with the Calgary Fire Department, just in terms of the volume of those. And, of course, that's concerning in terms of public safety as well as firefighter safety. And um, so so that would be uh, one for sure. The second would be, um, you know, we've seen um, that continuing trend with opioid calls upwards, unfortunately, uh, 37% uh, up in uh, 2018 versus 2017. And uh, that, 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 of course, is um, is a real challenge. And just to make it clear as well, we're part of a coalition across the city, um, including Calgary Police Service, Calgary Neighbourhoods, Calgary Transit, Calgary Community Standards, where we're trying to work with Alberta Health Services and other external stakeholders to find some uh, community solutions to this, because it's, this is about uh, this is a major crisis in our community, and um, the response needs to come from the community broadly as well. So we're working very diligently with those agencies. Uh, the city's working very dil- diligently with those agencies to try and find some solutions. I mean, we're you know obviously there's things that Alberta Health Services do- that are doing right now around supervised consumption sites and um, rehabilitation and treatment and and information that uh, are going to be vital if we're going to get ahead of this problem. And like I say, the city's helping with uh, some aspects of that as well. Third one to your question is, um, you know, obviously we went through the budget process towards the end of 2018. I think relatively well uh, was, you know, if I was to define the outcome, it would be relatively good. Um, Given the economic backdrop, council very supportive of where we were heading and uh, even rejected some of the uh, reductions that we'd uh, uh, come up with to try and make the kind of savings that we were being required to make, uh, as were other business units across the city of Calgary. When you look back on, uh, we'll start with the house fires first yep. and foremost. Are they were a large scale variety, and, and it seemed as though a lot of them were in the suburbs. And so it begs the question: yep. Are we seeing some of those older issues pop up when it comes to proximity between homes or materials being used, or are there other points of concerns or other things that have kind of been commonalities uh, in some of those fires? I think, uh, you know, it was a bit of a mix if you look at it. If I look at the list, um, you're right. There were some that were, um, you know, there were a good number that were, you know, those extreme suburban or way, well, you know, 20 years or newer kind of communities, whatever, versus the, the older legacy type communities. But there was a mix. And, uh, you know, you, there was a mix of causes as well with, um, you know, people disposing of cigarette butts in peat moss planters and that, those catching fire to some deliberately set ones. And then, you know, the, 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 the kind of mix of other causes that we see between cooking fires and candles and, and those kind of things. Um, so, uh, that, that, you know, certainly what we do see, though, is when they do occur in those more suburban areas, those more outlying areas, the fires are more fast-moving, they're more uh, dynamic, more um, aggressive, if, if, if you like, which requires 
some, some pretty immediate action from our folks to uh, to uh, get those under control before they spread to multiple uh, properties. Of course, we, we saw some changes to code a, a few years ago now, and uh, some of those were built prior to that, though, which are still the ones that probably give us the, 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 the biggest challenge. Uh, and even with the ones where we've seen code changes, we're actually working now uh, with... Um, other fire departments and the Safety Codes Council to start thinking about uh, some some further code changes to make those uh, even safer because we know some of the materials are quite flammable, combustible. Uh, we know that they're, the buildings are very close together. You know, we're looking at other some more improvements we could make to stop that rapid fire spread between uh, buildings as well as, you know, fire spread in the in the building of origin, of course, is a, is a concern. When you look back, and, and I even look back 10 years ago, and you think about the number of fires that were, that were, that were happening, and the issue seemed to be, or one of the issues seemed to be response time, because you had a lot of fires happening in, in, in the burbs where you guys didn't yep. have facilities there. You were waiting 10 minutes or able to get there within 10 or 15, but not to that 8 or 6. How would you grade response times in 2019, 2018? Well, you know, we've actually so there's two there's two measures fundamentally we make we, we we measure the time it takes for the first unit to get to a call, and then we measure the time it takes to get a full effective response force there, and that's for a serious fire. So that's four units rather than the one. Right. On the on the single unit response time, we're we're actually moving the needle in the right direction. We we improved by um, about ten seconds in 2018 over 2017 from. Uh, some, something like seven uh, in the seven fifties into the seven forties, seven minute fifties into the seven minute forties. Having said that, that doesn't mean we're not struggling a little bit in some of the peripheral areas of the city because it, not the, all those numbers are numbers, and the the higher number of calls we get in the downtown core, always where we have great response times because we have lots of service, mm-hmm. always kind of make the, the the that picture look a bit better. But but that is the fact we are. We are moving the needle on that first truck getting there, which is very important if you're having a heart attack or uh, you have a small event at your house. Now, the, the other measure, though, is is how long it takes to get the four trucks on scene that we think uh, we need and the industry actually thinks that we need as a minimum to start making an attack on a fire that's serious and escalating. That that one's going in the, the, the wrong direction. You know, we're, we were around 13 and a half minutes in 2017. We're now approaching 13 and three quarter minutes and if we don't do something, we'll we'll soon be at 14 minutes, and our target is 11 minutes. Um, so clearly, there we're struggling because that is the one that has the biggest uh, human impact as well in terms of people potentially losing property, uh, people potentially getting injured, uh, our firefighters getting injured as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're not there quickly enough to, uh, to to knock the fire down in in its kind of incipient stages. Is that a matter of manpower, or is that a matter of just simple resources, trucks not being available, or what's what's causing that lag? Um, you know, it, obviously, it's largely about both. It's about having enough trucks, and the trucks have to be staffed. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a combination of the two. And I have to say, one thing that's happened in this budget process that I also talked about was Council have given us some resources to start addressing that over the next four years. It certainly won't fix the problem, but it will certainly start moving the needle in the right direction. They gave us 40, 40 new positions purely to put onto trucks that would make up effective response force, uh, which is that f- assembling that first alarm, those four trucks. 
So we should see at least, um, you know, the needle to start moving in the right di- in the right direction, which is to a shorter time, hopefully. Uh, so, so I applaud council in supporting us with with that. And um, also, they gave us some resources. They made some decisions about opening up, opening up some new communities on the periphery of the city as well, and recognised that for some of those, it would mean fire service would need to be provided within the next four years, and they funded that through their budget process. So. Um, pretty uh that that's pretty encouraging as well as you know we 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 put up that reduction i think i just mentioned uh, we were asked to put up a reduction um and, and the only way we could do that was by taking a truck off the street to meet that level of reduction and uh, every every part of the city was asked to come up with those reductions and uh council decided that w- that was a step too far and uh actually re- reversed that decision and um reinstated that budget for that truck so I, I have to say we've had some significant support through the budget process this year which is um pleasing we will continue this discussion with uh, fire chief steve dongworth in a second where we'll talk about opioids and how they've been involved in that response this is calgary today on 770 chqr Chief Steve Dongworth joining us on the program this afternoon for his annual year in review and look ahead. And he mentioned one item off the top that I wanted to touch on, and that was the opioid crisis. And the fire department has been armed with a naloxone for a while now. And Chief, I'm wondering how that program is going and how your uh, firefighters have been able to uh, utilize this this tool. No, I mean we're we're we uh you know for over 2 years now we've been uh we've provided our people with uh with Narcan the nasal spray version of naloxone and that's been still being used about once a day. The interesting thing is as we've seen a significant increase in opioid calls, we haven't seen the same increase in the uh, amount of Narcan we've been administering, and I think that's because very often um, uh, a, a an opioid call doesn't immediately present itself as that. You you go into a home, you find someone who's in cardiac arrest. Your priorities are to you know get oxygen flowing again to to start heart action again by either CPR or defibrillation, and by that time uh, Alberta Health Services may have arrived with their paramedics, and they may well use their their injection, their injectable uh, naloxone, in which case, obviously, we don't use that. So kind of interesting, but I, I think there's good reason for the fact that um, we, we are seeing more, you know, significantly more opioid-related calls, but we're not, we're not seeing a, a real spike in how often we administer Narcan for the reasons I've just explained. Has that been a difficult transition for your firefighters to deal with? As you know, you guys use usually deal with life and death situations, but this is something completely different, and it's also completely unpredictable based on the the person that's involved. Yeah, I mean, we of course forty eight percent of our calls in two thousand eighteen were critical medical interventions, so we frequently go to calls where people are in medical distress. And in fact, we only go to the most serious calls. So things like heart attacks or chest pain or, you know, people having difficulty breathing, severe trauma, those kinds of things. So we're used to going to those kind of calls. I guess the, the bigger issue for us is the, the, the mental toll that it takes on firefighters. You know, mm-hmm. although opioid uh, use confounds um, some of the stereotypes we might make about, you know, what what part, what portions, what demographics are using opioids as well as where they're using them. I mean, really... This this opioid uh, epidemic kind of confounds some of that. It's being used across the city by all kinds of age groups, by all kinds of people. Um, and I think um, what that what that means is 
uh, for our our people who are predominantly people who live in the Calgary area, um, they see this uh, happening in their community and they are on the front line and uh, that there's an impact of that seeing, you know, a a threat to your community Mm -hmm. um, through this, uh, you know, this terrible, um, you know, waste of life at times or this terrible impact that these drugs have on people is uh, is disturbing, probably more so than some of the other medical calls we go to that could be just as serious. What would you like to see when it comes to that program or anything else on, on the horizon for 2019 as you look ahead? I'd love to see the number of opioid calls going the other way, uh, decreasing. I, I, I'd, you know, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see um, uh, our, our messaging around... Um, you know, fire safety uh, be um, adhered to a little more where people are a little more careful when they're cooking, a little more careful when they're disposing of their cigarette butts, using candles, those kinds of things, um, so that we can reduce some of this this toll because virtually everything we go to, someone's suffering. And um, whether it's the, the surviving family of, a, you know, someone who's been using opioids who's passed away, unfortunately, or is addicted through to someone who's lost their home or their their property, their possessions, their their mementos, all those kinds of things. So those are the kinds of things I would always hope for as, uh, as the fire chief. Chief, I appreciate the time, and thanks so much for looking back on 2018 and, and doing a little bit of looking ahead into your crystal ball for 2019. You bet. Fire Chief Steve Dongworth on the program. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. talked a lot about it over the last few weeks and I wanted to bring it up as a city committee is weighing in on the proposed redevelopment plan and the 50-year plan for Victoria, uh, the Victoria Park Stampede area. Uh, obviously, in the last few weeks, we had the massive announcement about the redevelopment of the BMO Center. We've had the ongoing discussions about the new arena, a.k.a. event center, a.k.a. the big elephant in the room post-Olympics. And one of the groups that is really going to be at the center of this hub, whatever it looks like down the road, is going to be the Calgary Stampede. And to dive more into what exactly that pertains, we welcome to the program Stampede CEO, Warren Connell. Warren, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. My pleasure. When you look at what the city is proposing for a a big-scale 50-year plan for that area, which is right in the heart of where you guys are operating, when you compare it with what you guys have in store in your uh, your crystal ball, what do you think? What What are you looking forward to and maybe some of the things that you'd like to see different maybe? Well, you know, actually, I think it's amazing. I think it shows a lot of leadership by the city and in particular CMLC in having the Rivers District Master Plan, which if I understand right, is the largest master plan a municipality has put forward in North America. So that's significant on its own. Uh, And then CMLC did a great job with all the stakeholders in making sure that those plans and those ideas were integrated, and that included the master plan for the Stampede. So to actually speak to things that I might like to see, I actually think this um, Rivers District Master Plan sets up success for the city in the short term and in obviously the long term, which is where we should all care. What does it mean to you and and the Stampede to be a, a centerpiece, I suppose, in what is going to be, in theory, a hub for the city for years to come? 
Well, for us, it's uh, absolutely special and unique because the Stampede and the City of Calgary consciously decided to keep the Stampede inner city many decades ago. And part of that reasoning was that the Stampede could be a thriving year-round organization that uh, became basically the central gathering place for Calgarians and visitors alike. And so this actually drives that message even further to say that not only can it be the central gathering place, but it can actually be integrated in the community and part of the community. So for us, it's great. When you look at the trans uh, transportation issues, and I know that the it's been a natural barrier is that C-Train. To see things developing on that front, how happy are you to finally see maybe some movement there where there isn't that barrier there and you have a bit of a, uh, a an alleyway, I suppose, to say the, the Beltline as an example? Do you know what? It's significant, and I can't underscore just how great the transportation initiatives have been in the last couple of years for the city. Between opening up 17th Avenue, you're right, that takes an entire barrier that was an impediment to the public, and uh, more so for pedestrians and even vehicles to access Stampede Park. But then I even want to recognize all the hard work that went on with the Green Line to the north, because the Green Line actually keeps the community and the Stampede integrated by going underground at the right appropriate time. And although it's only a few short blocks, it actually stops both groups from being isolated from each other and actually being able to integrate. So from my perspective, the transportation plan that actually supports this is just wonderful. And you guys have your own growth plans as well. You look at the the BMO Center expansion is a big one that you guys will obviously be a big part of but what other things are on the horizon for stampede park that maybe the average calgarian doesn't know about that might be a part of this uh, this big vision well that's a great question because the stampede actually is just finished um as part of our master plan our first commitment was to go back to the grassroots and do our charity and not-for-profit uh, pieces first and actually help uh, integrate the Stampede into the community through those. So we've spent about $130 million over the last five years with everything from the Nutrien Western Event Centre to the youth campus and all the wonderful buildings and partnerships that have occurred there. And where I'm leading to is, so now it's time, everybody wants to be around 100 years from now just like we've been for a hundred years mm-hmm. and so sustainability is a part of that and the BMO Center not only grows Calgary's economy but it also grows an opportunity for the Stampede to keep that growth occurring on Stampede Park and again so BMO Center moves forward and immediately it drives almost a million more visitors to Stampede Park which come from external sources so out of province and Uh, regional and international, and those external sources all bring money to spend in Calgary. And so that helps with the integration of things like Main Streets, which won't stop at a boundary of Stampede Park or a boundary of Victoria Park. They'll actually be seamless between each other Mm -hmm. and actually have a festival site for the city. And as I say, it makes a community thrive as well. You need only look no farther than what's happened in East Village to see just how when the imagination can be put to use it can be developed into a great thing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, Warren Connell, the CEO of the Stampede, joining us on the program. I've got a couple more questions for you, so we're going to have you hang on the line for just a second here. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Mm-hmm. 
With the big announcement pre-New Year surrounding the BMO Center expansion and the continued discussions over an event center and the redevelopment plan for Victoria Park and the Rivers District and everything going on in that area, thought it'd be important to bring in someone who is uh, directly involved in this process, and it's Warren Connell, the CEO of the Calgary Stampede. And Warren, let's talk about that big elephant in the room, uh, the replacement for the Saddle Dome. The discussions are obviously still ongoing, but how important is it for that to be a part of uh, this hub that is being contemplated uh, in your area? You know, with respect to the Saddle Dome, I'll be very uh, open and um, transparent that we, from the very beginning, have said that we would love to see the Saddle Dome stay on Stampede Park and be integrated into our facilities, and we don't speak for the city or for Calgary Sport and Entertainment. But we certainly have enjoyed our partnership with Calgary Sport and Entertainment over the last few decades and would hope to continue that. As far as any discussions between the organizations go, I think it would probably be inappropriate for me to speak to any of those discussions right now as they're just in the stages of starting. Mm -hmm. I I am curious, so when you see some of the the drawings and the development that that they are proposing with with this East Village proposal, does that give you a little bit of a, I don't want to even call it a glimmer of hope, but certainly a little bit of excitement in the belly maybe? Well, absolutely. I mean, as I said, we've had this amazing partnership with um, Calgary Sport and Entertainment, and when you look at major events that have come to Calgary, like... APG or the Barbershoppers or Rotary International, both back in 97 and also upcoming in 2025. Those have all been done so well and so thoughtfully because of that partnership between the two organizations in the city. So I would hope nothing more than that continues. Mm-hmm. When you look ahead to maybe the next couple of years here in terms of the, the Grand Master planning and that, what has you excited? What would you like to Calgarians to uh, get excited with you about? I I would hope Calgarians would understand um, that, number one, the Stampede has delivered on its mandate to reinvest back into youth, community, agriculture, and being that bridge between urban and rural. But more importantly, that we are looking at sustainability and how 100 years from now everybody will think that the right decisions were made at this time. And, you know, I just want to applaud that the province and the city so far have seen that vision and understand that BMO is much more than just what it will do for the convention and trade industry. That BMO is actually a catalyst in this new Rivers District Master Plan that's going to spur development from the ancillary spinoffs. So, you know, uh, one more group to go and hopefully we'll be under construction with BMO in the late spring. It'd be uh, great to see for sure. Warren, appreciate the time this afternoon. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Calgary Stampede CEO Warren Connell on the program talking about uh, Rivers District, Victoria Park, East Village, that whole area, that whole hub. And I keep saying it, I'm going to keep barking up this tree as I'm a big fan of this. And the reason being is it's big thinking. It goes beyond the small term, just chasing cash idea. And I get the sense in talking to a number of people who are involved in this process is that there is a lot of buy-in from a private sector standpoint. There are a lot of people knocking on the door saying, how do I get my piece of that pie? And that's what you want is that investment back in. 
because you're not going to be able to get it if you don't have some big thinking. You don't have a big vision for that area. And it sounds as though there's a lot of buy-in on that vision for uh, the Rivers District slash Victoria Park slash East Village. So it'll be fantastic to see what develops in the weeks ahead and maybe see the uh, shovels in the ground before too long. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.